You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Danny Hardy. My name is Danny Hardy, and I'm the communications pastor here at Grace, and I also have the privilege of leading our women's ministry, which is one of my very favorite things to do with the ladies of this house, and I'm just so excited to be sharing the good news with you today. Amen? All right, as Tommy's been telling us, we're in this series, Summer at the Movies, and he's been telling us about how one of the tools that we like to use or processes we like to use, strategies we like to use, is taking a tool of the world, like movies, and leveraging it for kingdom purposes. And so that's really fun. And we're going to keep doing that today with Summer at the Movies. And I love this movie that we're going to look at today. It's not like a fresh new movie, but it's one of my favorites. Um, I love to watch movies that are contemplative. And those of you who know me are like, duh. The ones that I walk away from asking bigger questions, asking larger questions about my life and my faith and my purpose and trying to excavate those things out with the Lord. And this movie is one of those, um, but it's also riddled with lots of comedic moments, which is like the best of both worlds. So today we're going to look at clips from The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, um, like from 2014. I don't know. Anyway, it's good. Here's the trailer. Check it out. I can't seem to leave a wink for someone. Okay, uh, I'm looking at your profile. You left a lot of this stuff blank. Well, I haven't really been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. Have you done anything noteworthy, mentionable? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? It's gonna blow! I just like zoned out for a second. We have ahead of us the privilege of publishing the very last issue of Life magazine. And for the final issue, we just received negative 25 from Sean O'Connell for the cover. There's 25, just not there. I know. Maybe it's still on it. It had a sound that mowed the I'm Walter. Mitty. Walter! Oh, are you coming? Yes, I'm not. Yes, I have to stay. What is it you call it when he goes into one of his little places? Oh, zoned out. You do that now and then. What's the matter? I lost a picture. You shouldn't go. Crack the case. Place. That's why the airfare is only eighty-four dollars. 
It's so good. If you haven't watched it, you can like watch it on one of your streaming things, you know. I don't know which one you use. But anyway, okay, there's so many different directions that we could go with this message because it's such a good movie. But we're going to take a super academic approach today called The Lessons I Learned About Faith from a Ben Stiller Film. (laughs) So you're welcome. Uh, But really, we're going to talk about multiple takeaways that we can grab from this movie and apply to our lives that lead us back to biblical truths and our relationship with Jesus. And if you're like, yeah, right, I'm up for the challenge. Okay, so the first takeaway that I want us to think about from this movie is this. Our secret life spreads into our private life and our public life. And I want to break those down for you real quick. So Walter's life, just like ours, had a public, private, and secret component. Walter's public life was lived at Life Magazine, his workplace, and eventually around the world doing all kinds of wild things. Walter's private life was lived with his mom, his sister, his one coworker, and his eHarmony crush. Shout out to eHarmony. No, I don't know. Um, Walter's secret life, though, his secret life was lived in his head. Lived in his head when he zoned out and imagined himself as a hero in a multitude of scenarios. It was the thing that was only ever happening here. And in his secret life, these are some of the things that he did, right? Jumping into a fiery window to rescue the dog of his crush so she would no doubtedly fall in love with him. Um, Peruvian mountain climber, that seems realistic. Um, And then here he is, like Stretch Armstrong fighting the boss that he despises, okay? So all of these scenarios are happening in his mind where he is the hero, But then eventually, that same ideology spills over from his private secret life into his private and public life. And here are some pictures of where he's actually an adventurer, okay? So this is the moment that he actually jumps into the helicopter and he has surprised himself, right? Because he's actually done the thing that he always thought about doing. And then he's jumping out of that helicopter into the water, and there was a boat over here that he was supposed to jump in instead, which is funny. Um, And then he's on a bicycle, and he's on a skateboard headed towards a volcano. It's wild. And then he is climbing a mountain to find the photographer. Hey, those are Sherpas, by the way. Shout out to Sherpa from January. Okay, so Sherpas um, climbing a mountain. So these are the real-life adventures that he goes on in the movie. And part of why, we're going to keep this up here, part of why it was easy for him to just run out of that restaurant and jump into this helicopter, it was easy for him to do that, is because in the secret place of his mind, he was already a professional hero. He was already capable in his mind of being that. And then he was able to just go and do that. And this notion gets my attention Because if that's true, it should stand to reason that the person who is in Christ and who is living from a secret place of a communing relationship with God, that it is then easy for us to live obediently to God, both privately and publicly, if we are first doing it secretly. 
And I don't actually mean that it's easy because anyone who's doing it knows that it's not. But that word easy, I'm using to mean familiar, practiced, natural. It's a natural step to be obedient privately and obedient publicly when you are practiced at being obedient secretly in your mind, with your thoughts, with your emotions, and your relationship with the Lord. So today we're going to talk about where, what this looks like in Scripture, and we're going to look at Paul's life as an example and the evidence of this in his secret life. And so the first thing we're going to do is look at three different scriptures, and we're going to do a quick comparison of these. Um, so in Ephesians 3.14, Ephesians was written by Paul. This is him saying, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And then in Acts 20, about Paul, it says, When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And then finally, Acts 21, 5, When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. What do you see over and over and over again? Kneeling. This posture of kneeling and praying. And I want to point out that this would not have been a common posture to take in these days. So the presence publicly of this posture in Paul's life is evidence that this rare posture was rooted in his secret life. The one he lived that nobody else knew about but him and God. We see that word over and over again, which shows us something about his secret life. And the truth is this, no one will ever notice fruit in your private and public life. Private life lived with close friends and family, public life, people at work, the grocery store, and the world at large, okay? People will never see fruit in your private and public life that is not rooted in the secret life of your soul. Can't happen because you can't give what you don't have. Second takeaway, when God changes our course, he grows our faith in the secret place. We're going to look again. Okay, all throughout this movie, we see Walter's course change. His mission is always the same, to find this lost picture and to find this photographer. But the course changes over and over again. He's on a helicopter. He's on a boat. He's on a bike. He's on a longboard. He's hiking. Like it constantly is changing. And not one time did he get bothered by the direction, the course his course changing because he always knew what his direction was. He always knew what he was after. He didn't need to see the whole picture. He just needed to take the next step. I recently heard a story about Mother Teresa, and y'all are like, whoa, we just went from Ben Stiller to Mother Teresa. Yes, we did. It's a quick transition. Um, but a story about Mother Teresa that a man approached her and asked, asked her to pray for him. And she said, of course I'll pray for you. What can I pray for you about? And he said, I would like for you to pray for me to have clarity in my life. And she said, I will not pray that for you. Because God has never given me clarity. But instead I will pray for you to have faith. The scriptures don't tell us to walk by clarity. The scriptures tell us to walk by faith. Not by sight, but to walk by faith, but also not by clarity. And again, I think about Paul. 
Y'all, I think about him because when he was blinded on the road to Damascus after an encounter with God, he was told to go to the house of Ananias. And how did he get there? He was led by the hand closely. He wasn't given a view of what it was going to look like. He didn't even have a view. He was blind. But he went in faith. And he was led closely by the hand. Because after a single encounter with the magnitude and the magnificence of God, he had faith, which turns out is superior to clarity. It is superior. And our faith, it is born and it is sustained in the secret place of our souls. But the majority of the time before we go into the secret place with God, we want to know what God's going to do there. We want clarity about what he's going to do in the secret place of our souls. But the entrance isn't clarity. The entrance is faith in the one who establishes our steps. So if you want to know more about the steps of your life, we need to have greater faith in the one who establishes our steps, not greater clarity about what he might do when we decide to trust him. Faith over clarity. The third takeaway is that encounters with God in the secret place might better be savored than shared. In this scene that we're going to watch next, Walter finally finds his friend, Sean, the photographer, on top of this mountain. And I want you all to pay close attention to the photographer. Let's watch what happens. Take your time. Settling. Try to be real still, okay? There's a snow leopard in this ridge. So we have to try to be very, 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 very still. They call the snow leopard the ghost cat. It never lets itself be seen. Ghost cat. Beautiful things don't ask for attention. Sometimes I don't. If I like a moment, I mean me, personally, I don't like to have the distraction again. I just want to stay in it.
That looks like fun. I think I'm gonna jump in. Hey, what, what was the picture, Sean? We're gonna be odd-numbered if you don't join. What was the picture? Let's just call it a ghost cat, Walter Mitty. Okay, what did the photographer not do? Take the picture. That seems pretty counterintuitive for a person who gets paid to share their work. But he knew that sometimes moments that are sacred are not for the sharing. They are for the savoring. And this is something I want us to sit in for a minute. I want to give you permission to have sacred moments with God that are simply between you and him and not shared with anyone else. We are entitled to have secret moments with God. That increases the intimacy of our connection with him when there are things that happen between us that no one else knows about. And we're entitled to that. We're allowed to have that. We don't have to share everything. Every single moment of revelation or redemption or reconciliation doesn't have to be shared. Because there are even times that we can't articulate what happened in the secret moment, the secret life, the secret place of our souls with our creator. We can't even articulate it because our words typically most often describe a natural world and they can't always describe a supernatural encounter. So you are not required to share every moment that happens in the secret place of your soul with God. In the movie, he says, if I like a moment, me personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it. Stay in it. That sounds a lot to me like abiding in Christ or staying with Christ. And Paul's life, again, shows evidence of an abiding relationship with Jesus that he is urging us Towards. And again, we're going to look at multiple scriptures and compare here. And I want you to notice that these scriptures don't say abide, 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 but they give language around this idea. And these are from Paul's writings. The first one is in Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is saying, I am dead. I have been crucified. It is Christ who lives in me. To have the life of another inside of us, how much closer do you get? That is abiding. Colossians 2. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted. Rooted. That's a deep implanting. That isn't casual. That is deep. And that's what abiding looks like. And then last, Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, we've heard heart and mind, on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You died and your life is now in Christ. To be hidden 
is for him to be seen and for you to not be seen. I don't know anything closer than that. That's what abiding looks like, is to be okay with you being the thing that got crucified and him being the thing that gets to live instead of you. Him being the thing that gets to live inside of you. That's abiding. And I want to caution us here because we are being trained in our snapshot world to share everything. We are being trained and we are being robbed of our very nature that God designed for us to delight in the deep knowing of him and to be deeply known by him. And when we live from a place that thinks we have to advertise who we are and how we're growing and always sharing, then we are robbing ourselves of the very nature of being able to savor the secret place with our Savior. We are allowed to have secret, intimate moments with our Creator. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 14, it says it this way. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, amen, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is what abiding gets us. Abiding in Christ happens in the secret place of our souls when we are communing with the Holy Spirit. And it is in that place where we receive revelation, where we receive understanding from the Holy Spirit that we cannot gain otherwise because some things only come from the Spirit through spiritual words. And that happens deep within us when we are investing in the secret place between us and God. Back in January, a close friend of mine shared her conviction that has kept my spirit stirred and has, stir has spurred me on. And she said this, I don't want to have a faith built on borrowed revelation. I want to have a revelation of my own from God. Her conviction struck me and it has stuck with me because I've realized that this kind of revelation only happens when we are abiding with Christ in the secret place where we receive revelation from the Holy Spirit. And this secret place is the same one in Psalm 139 where the scripture tells us, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And where Psalm 91 tells us that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And to mention abiding and then the idea of a shadow, you have to be walking with someone pretty closely to be hidden in their shadow. That's what abiding looks like. 
this secret place where God is inviting us into, it exists beyond our eyes. It exists in the depth of our creator and the depths of our own souls, which are linked together through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is this secret place that only happens between you and him. And I wonder when the last time was that God invited you there and did something in you that you chose to savor instead of share. The fourth takeaway for today is that the character birthed in the secret place of our souls grows in us the desire and ability to be a ghost cat, what the movie calls a ghost cat, a beautiful thing that doesn't ask for attention. At the end of the movie, Walter Mitty finally finds the missing photo in a wallet that the photographer had actually given him, and he didn't even look at it. He just turned it into production to be put on the cover of the magazine. And this is what the image was. The quintessence image was a picture of him, a ghost cat, a beautiful thing not asking for attention, faithfully serving, quietly executing, humbly living. He, at this point, had gone and done noteworthy and mentionable things that no doubt would have been a great like eHarmony profile, but that wasn't what mattered. This is what mattered. And the photographer had seen all kinds of things in his life and all kinds of things throughout his career, yet this was the image that he said captivated all of his images that he had ever taken. This was the essence, a ghost cat. And we see this same idea lived out in Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, we're going to look at multiple verses and talk about the similarities here. Verses 3 and 4, talking about giving. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. About prayer, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And verse 17, about fasting, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you hear the same phrase over and over and over? Why? Because it matters. Because the author, Jesus, speaking this word, wants us to get it. That our spiritual disciplines are best to be savored rather than shared, put on display all the great things that we're doing and all of the great things that ways that we're growing, but instead to be savored because part of the reward is that only you and God know what the faith that he has grown in you has done. That's part of the reward. We also see this in Paul's life to point back to him for a minute. A lot of the moments in Paul's life were very public, right? Like public spectacle moments that everyone knew about. I mean, he addressed large crowds. He healed a man. He raised a man from the dead. Um, There were all the imprisonments. There were trials. There were floggings. There were beatings. There were all kinds of things that were public. 
But my favorite part of the book of Acts is in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there. He had gotten to Rome, stayed there in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Y'all, after all that he had seen, after all that he had done, after all that he had lived through, he was satisfied to live in a rented house and preach the gospel to anyone who wanted to come and hear it. He was satisfied to be a ghost cat. He was satisfied to be a beautiful thing, not asking for attention. He was satisfied to point all of his attention to Jesus. He was satisfied. I want to be satisfied. He was determined to use every ounce of his life to point to the Jesus who had transformed his life. And he knew this indescribable yet accessible God was worth dwelling with and was worth meditating on all the days of his life. And so he was satisfied to do something simple that mattered so much. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of disciple I want to be. A ghost cat disciple living fully into the identity that God has spoken over me as a beautiful beloved and pointing all of my affection, all of my attention, all of my accolade to Christ alone, the suffering Savior on a cross who paid my debt, who set me free, who broke my chains, who changed my name, who gave me victory and is coming back again. I don't care about me anymore. I just want to be about you. I just want to be about you, God. I want to be hidden. And that's a dangerous thing to ask for. Because sometimes my flesh wants something different. But my spirit, my spirit wants to be a ghost cat disciple. A beautiful thing that doesn't ask for attention. This happens in the secret place of our souls. But we make a lot of excuses about why we don't invest in the secret life of our souls by going deep with God. Maybe for you it's the shame or condemnation of your sin that keeps you from that secret place because you want to hide your sin from the Lord. But guess what? He already knows. He already knows about your secret life, what's happening in here. And he already knows about your secret sin that's happening in here. And it's the very thing that he came to rescue you from and to redeem you from and to restore you out of. It's what he's after. For you, maybe it's excuses about the distractions of your life. And how they're robbing you of your time and your attention and your emotion and your discipline. And you just can't prioritize time with God in the secret place right now. Maybe it's excuses about how comfortable you've gotten near the secret place. You're sort of there. But you're neglecting to actually go deep with God. 
and let him do the deep work of making you who he is calling you to be because you've just gotten too comfortable. We make plenty of excuses about why we're not investing in the secret place of our souls with the one who made us. But the truth is this, just to be matter of fact among friends, God didn't come to forgive us of our excuses. He came to forgive us of our sin and restore us to the Father who longs to dwell in the secret place of our souls. That's what he's after. So if you are in Christ, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It is time to stop zoning out and imagining what it would be like to live as Christ and to actually start doing it, to allowing him to go deep with you in the secret place and work out every offensive way in you that he might lead you in the way everlasting. It is time. He wants to abide with you, and he wants to teach you how to savor the moments that you share together rather than feeling like you need to share them with the world. He is ready and willing and inviting you to live a life of a ghost cat, a beautiful thing that doesn't ask for attention, but is longing to live a life devoted to him, loving him and serving others and loving them and serving him. And he's inviting you there. Our time in this secret place with God is fuel for our faith, for the harvesting of souls, for the Savior of the world, because people are dying every day and spending eternity apart from him because they don't know our Jesus. The secret place is not where our mission ends. It is the place where our mission begins, getting fuel for the journey of your faith to be lived out. So let's stop imagining we're living a life where our faith and our good works glorify our Father in heaven. And let's actually start doing it. That our secret life would be investing in the secret place of our soul with the Savior of the world. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.